been talking about happiness, and most every person that you talk to would like to be happy. We even have it in our Constitution, the pursuit of happiness, or in our Declaration of Independence. But uh, if you pursue happiness somehow or another, you don't ever seem quite to be able to find it. In order to be happy, you have to pursue other things and then let happiness happen to you as you're pursuing other things. And we talked about some of those. Uh, but there's a reason to be happy beyond just wanting to be happy. For, for example, they tell us that if you're unhappy, you look older than you really are. How about that? You want to get younger? Be happy. Unhappy people are more prone to being sick than happy people. And unhappy people tend to have less energy than happy people. There are some advantages to, to being happy. And so we've looked at some of the keys to, to happiness, some of the keys to, to being happy, some of the things that we ought to be pursuing if we want to be happy. The first of those was adjustment. You know, things change. Nothing ever goes on the same forever and ever. Things change. And if you want to be happy, you have to learn to adjust to those things in one way or another. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians when he talks about uh, having a thorn in the flesh. You know, one day something began to happen to him, and, and it doesn't tell us what it was, but he asked God to take it away. Let things be like they were. Go back like they were. I don't like this change. God said, it's not going to happen. So Paul says, I adjusted to it. I made a difference. I made a change in my life. We talked about the second key, usefulness. The New Testament records six different times that Jesus said, he that will find his life shall lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake will find it. So if we'll, if we'll lose ourselves in serving others, losing ourselves in serving Jesus, then uh, we'll find our life. We'll find what life is about. But if we spend our life looking for ourselves and working for ourselves and pursuing for ourselves, we lose our life. We lose what we're looking for the most. And then last time we were together, two weeks ago, we looked at the third key. The third key is forgiveness. We have to learn how to forgive. Not only do we need to learn how to forgive, we need to practice forgiveness. We looked at the biblical description of forgiveness. We saw what a high place forgiveness holds in the kingdom of God. It's a significant event for us to learn to be able to forgive. Uh, and then we talked about how important it was to practice forgiveness and finally, we talked about what forgiveness looks like. How do you actually forgive somebody who has wronged you? How do you, how do you practice forgiveness? Uh, and if you're interested in any of those things and you miss the message, they're all posted on our website. So you can get on the website and uh, look at those. I'm, I'm slow getting those up, I know. But if you knew what I went through to get them up there, you'd say, well, Pastor, thank you so much for putting those up there. Uh, it's, uh, it's, anyway, they're up. 
you can thank Marge. Marge is the one that she keeps bugging me. She keeps saying, that one's not up yet. That one's not up yet. That one's not up yet. I haven't heard it yet. So uh, I'll keep working on that. Marge is one of our uh, Arizona folks that comes up occasionally, regularly during the summertime. And uh, she's one of our best members, and she lives in Arizona. How's that, how's that work? This morning we're going to look at a fourth key. It's gratitude or thankfulness. We need to learn how to be thankful. You know, when, when we're thankful for everything and thankful in everything, circumstances of life don't defeat us. When you're thankful, you can learn to live above the clouds of despair and discouragement. And, and we can give thanks in everything and have a, a victorious, triumphant life. A few years ago, a couple of professors at Indiana University did research. They, they were working with depression, and they were trying to discover how best to help uh, people who were suffering depression. And, and, and here's what they discovered. It was surprising to them. Maybe not surprising to us, but it was surprising to them they found that over the last decade, all the studies that they looked at over the last decade, they found that those who routinely count their blessings are overall happier and experience less depression. Count your blessings. You ever remember singing about that? You know, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And I can remember when, when I was a kid in church and, and we would sing that song the song leader would lead us out and we'd go count your many blessings, name them. And we'd come to the end of the verse and he'd stop and he'd say, Malin, give me a blessing. Mike, give me a blessing. And you better be on your toes. Because they just stood there and waited for you until you, you gave a blessing. And, uh, you know, that we ought to be blessed. We ought to know what our blessings are. We see it. We ought to also do it. We could focus this study on Thanksgiving uh, like we do every Thanksgiving. You know, we take time to, to count our blessings and think about our blessings. Um, I want us to, to once again look at the Apostle Paul as we look at him in the book of Acts and then in the letters that he wrote, we see his life in all of its afflictions. You know, he spent years and years in trouble, in hard labor. Sometimes it seemed like it was a fruitless labor. Sometimes it was a more victorious labor. He was up. He was down. He was in every circumstances with all kinds of results. We find him suffering under persecution. We see him in jail, out of jail, in jail, again. He is suffering. He is forsaken by his friends. He's denied the uh, blessings and the benefits of life. He says there's times when he was cold and he was hungry and he was friendless. He had nobody. He's shipwrecked. He's, he's on an island, desolate. And finally, we see that he was imprisoned in Rome. Yet in all of those writings, in, in all of those stories, in all of those incidences in the life of Paul, Paul never focuses on those. 
You know, they're just kind of the background for what's happening in his life. His, his message is a gratitude for God who found him, who forgave him, who saved him, who called him to serve him and commissioned him and keeps him. And he focuses over and over on what he can be thankful for. And you know, what you focus on is incredibly important. And you know who decides what you focus on? You do. I remember years ago, Charles Lowry was pastor of Hoffmantown Baptist Church in Albuquerque, and he was speaking at one of our pastor's gatherings. And he was talking about focus and the things that we focus on. He was trying to encourage us pastors to focus on the right things. And uh, he told about being on vacation with his family. And they were on vacation in their family, and they were staying in kind of a resort area. And they weren't aware that right next to the place where they were staying was a nudist camp, a nudist colony. And he said they were out one day, he and his kids, they were out one day, and these bicyclists came riding by wearing absolutely nothing. And he says, he was sitting what am I going to say? What am I going to tell my kids? You know, how am I going to explain this? And finally, one of the kids said, look, Daddy, they're not wearing their bicycle helmets. <laughs> you know, it all has to do with what you focus on. What do you focus on? You know, Paul focuses on his faith, not his fear. He writes again and again about his life, about his witness, about his relationship with others, about his relationship to God. And he gives a life of perpetual thanksgiving to God. Read his letters. Read, read what he writes and how many times he says thanks. Thanks be to God. You know, in Romans 1.8, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, to the Roman Christians, and he says, first of all, he's going to write 16 chapters, but he says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I'm in a state of thanksgiving right now. In chapter 7, in verse 25, he says, he's right in the middle of a doctrinal statement, one of his one of his most powerful doctrinal statements. It just seems like he pauses as he's thinking about the great doctrine of salvation in Jesus Christ. He just pauses and he says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. It was just thanksgiving that flows out for what God has done for him. 1 Corinthians, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And if you know your New Testament, you know that the church of Corinth caused him more problems than all the other churches put together. It was a difficult place for him. But he's writing to the church in the very first chapter, the fourth verse, in spite of all the heartaches and heart headaches that they've caused him as a church, he says, I thank God always concerning you. I'm thankful for you. To the church at Philippi, you remember Philippi, that's where he was imprisoned. That's where he was in jail when the earthquake came. That's where he was beaten. He says to the church at Philippi, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. 
I remember, he says, when I was in prison there, beaten unjustly. But I thank God for every remembrance of Philippi. He writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, we are bound to thank God. I just can't help it. I'm compelled. I'm bound to thank God for you. To Timothy, he wrote, I thank God whom I serve for every memory of you, for the grace and the fellowship we've had, for the memory of your mother and your grandmother, for the faith that was in you. I thank God for all those rich memories. In Ephesus, Ephesus is where he was driven out of town in the midst of a riot. He was unjustly persecuted, arrested, accused, and all the months of hard work that he had done, they stopped and stopped it. And even after all that, he's writing to the Ephesians and he says, I'm giving thanks always for all things unto God. I thank God for things always, for everything that happened. He was just living a thankful life. He was just thankful. He had a life of gratitude for what God had done in his life. And then one day they took him and this isn't in the scripture, this is in biblical tradition or New Testament tradition. They unlocked his chains and they took him out of the Mamertine prison in Rome and they marched him along the road outside the city of Rome. They came to a little grove of trees and there they told him, Paul, put your head down on that block there. And there the executioner stood with a sharpened axe and Paul put his head down and in one flash, the axe descended and his head rolled to the ground. And at that moment, without a doubt in my heart, I know that the Apostle Paul marched into glory saying, Thanks be to God that I could die for my Lord Jesus Christ. That was just his life. He was just full of gratitude. He was a, he, he was a thankful person. And, I, and I'm convinced that the more gratitude we have in life, the happier we will be. I'm convinced that thankful life is a happy life. To be ungrateful is just to live in misery. It's to be unhappy all the time and to miss the way of joy and peace and victory. And I know that gratitude is a key to the abundant life. How many thanksgivings have we talked about giving thanks? How many prayers have we lifted up to God of thanksgiving, thanking Him for the things in our lives? And I'm tempted to preach that way again because we get to wake up every morning and see a new day and the things that we have to be thankful for. Health, life, home, work. But I realize that in our world, there are many who don't have those blessings, the things that we say we're thankful for. And I want to thank God for all he's given me, but I wonder what it would be like if I didn't have those things. I read the testimony of a young woman. She was miserable. She was depressed. And then her car breaks down, and she takes it in, and she finds out that it's going to cost her almost $1,000, $500 at least, of work to get her car back. Listen to what she says. This is the testimony that she wrote. $500, $500, 
$500. My eyes fell on my Bible on the nightstand. The victorious Christian. What a joke, at least for me. I suddenly thought of a verse. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. I grabbed another Kleenex. And I began thinking as I started to shred it into little bits. Yeah, thanks, God. Thanks for letting the only person I ever really care about die. And thanks, God, for the hell you let my stepmother put me and my brother through. The beatings, the cursings, and the yelling, the lonely nights. Thanks for reminding me of all the scum in my life and in the world. Thanks for messing up my life so much I now have to pay Bills up to my ears from having to see a psychologist. And thanks for all the pain I have every time I spill my guts to her. Thanks for all the love you denied me and gave me to, and gave to everyone else. Thanks for the rotten ache in my heart that hurts so much the sobbing won't stop. And oh yeah, thanks for the engine going out today. Just one more thing to be thankful for, God. And then... It struck me that neither of those are what Paul is talking about. Not the kind of thanksgiving that I have because of what I have. Not the thanksgiving that she's sarcastically speaking because she doesn't have what she thinks she ought to have. That neither one of those are what Paul is talking about. But his situation is more like hers than it is like mine. When Paul said, thanks be to God, he was not sure he would see the sun tomorrow. When he said, I give thanks to God, he was in prison, sentenced to be executed. But he said, thanks be to God. And when he said, thanks be to God, he wasn't a free citizen in a free land where there was justice. He was unjustly jailed, unjustly accused, and eventually he was unjustly executed. He, he wasn't guilty of what he was accused of. When Paul said, thanks be to God, he didn't have food on his table and friends gathered around. He was lonely. He was friendless. When he said, thanks be to God, he didn't have health and strength. He was sick and separated and lonely. He was stripped of all those things for which we sometimes thank God. Yet his heart was overflowing with gratitude, with thanksgiving to God. So in, in light of that, I want to share just in, in my own life, my own testimony, what I think we ought to be thankful for, the kind of thankfulness that brings victory to life. First of all, we ought to thank God for Jesus Christ. When there is nothing else, if I have Jesus, I have everything. And if I don't have Jesus, I really don't have anything. Anything that counts, anyway. And so I thank God that he cared enough about a little 11-year-old boy to come into his life and invite him to accept him as his Savior just a simple commitment between this little boy and the Lord 
Lord, I give you my life. Come into my life and, and save me. And he did. But that wasn't the end. I, I thank God that through all of those years of adolescence, when I thought I was smarter than I was, when I would thought that I didn't need God because I was smart enough and capable enough to do it on my own, I thank God that He never deserted me. That, how's it go? I've wandered far away from home, but God always called me back. He stood by me in those years. And then I thank God for Jesus Christ who kept me though I failed him and disappointed him. He never left me or quit on me. And I thank God for Jesus Christ who today lives in me and gives me the security that I can never lose. I'm his son. I belong to him. I'm a member of his family. Sometimes I fall down. Sometimes I slip. Sometimes I stray. But I'm still a son. I may be disobedient at times. I may be out of fellowship at times. But I am in him and he is in me. And nothing can snatch me from his hand. I thank God for Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this. He said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Jesus Christ. And I don't have the words. Paul says, I don't have the words to describe the priceless gift of Jesus Christ. He says it's unspeakable. I don't know how to even speak the words. But that's where thanksgiving starts. In the gift of God that we can't even express. We stumble all over the words when we try to express what a beautiful thing it is that God has given us. And then I want to thank God the second thing I see in Paul's thanksgiving is I read them over and over. He kept saying, I thank God for you. I thank God for friends. I thank God for churches. I thank God for all of those, those things. And so I want to thank God for Christian friends and acquaintances. And I want to thank God for all the Christian influence in my life over the years. Thank you, God, for a Christian family, for a mom and a dad who love the Lord Jesus. For parents who brought me to Sunday school, to church, to prayer meeting, to Bible study, and special events without discussion. I've told people at times that when I was a kid I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church over and over again. But you know, thanks be to God for that. You know, it gave me a foundation that uh, you know, I can never depart with. Thank you for prayer meetings and Bible studies and prayer being a part of my home life and that my parents taught me how to serve the Lord as a child. When I, when I was a little boy, I got an allowance. I got a quarter a week as an allowance. But they never gave me a quarter. They always gave me two dimes and a nickel. And... I was to keep two of those and give the third one on Sunday morning. They always gave it to us on Saturday night, so we didn't have a chance to spend it either. <laughs> we, we put it in our offering envelope on Sunday morning at Sunday school. 
Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for a friend, a young man who he and his dad took me to church and encouraged me to give my life to the Lord the night God was speaking to me. I thank the Lord for a young woman who loved me and thought enough of me to be my wife and has a tender heart towards God and whatever God is speaking to me and to her. I thank the Lord for a young couple that invited my wife and I to a small group Bible study and a prayer time that reintroduced me to walking with the Lord. You know, it's interesting. When I went to the funeral in Albuquerque last month for my former pastor, I met that young man there. He's not a young man now, he's an old man, older than me. But I reminded him, I said, Bill, you know, you're part of the reason in my life that God brought me to where I am. And he looked at me and he says, you and Jennifer were a big part of bringing me to where I am too. I had no idea. I had no idea. I had a number of pastors. Thank you, God, for those pastors who loved me and taught me and faithfully preached the complete counsel of God. And all the men and women that I've served with over the years that labored with me, hurt with me, rejoiced with me, thank you for the memories of their love and concern that will always be a part. And you know, that's part of Christian living. That's part of the victory of Christian living, that we have Christian friends, people that have been an influence to us and people that we can be an influence to and don't even know sometimes the ways that we influence others. And so I just pray that you'd help me to be the kind of pastors, pastor that my pastors were and let me serve you with men and women who love you and are dedicated to you. And then the third thing I think Paul says over and over that we ought to be considerate about. He says, I thank God for the calling in my life. For the calling in my life. You see, we have a God who has a purpose for each one of us. It's not just a purpose for preachers. He has a purpose for every one of us in life. I didn't want to be a preacher. That wasn't my goal in life. I was very happy. I was very content where I was. I graduated from college. I had my first job on a road to what was hopefully going to be a career uh, in game and fish management. But in the solitude where we were at at the time and I grew closer to the Lord and I opened my will to His will, I understood that God wasn't calling me to be a manager of fish, but a fisherman of men. And so I surrendered to the Lord. I still didn't tell anybody I wanted to be a preacher. I just said, I want to do what God's called me to do and go to seminary, but he doesn't necessarily want me to be a preacher. Why else do you go to seminary? Anyway, you understand. Back in those days, Jim Raglan was a missionary, Southern Baptist missionary in Beirut, Lebanon. 
in a time when we still had missionaries in Lebanon. It was when the things were beginning to become in turmoil and Lebanon was in the most difficult place. And most Americans left Lebanon during that time, but he stayed through the fighting and ministered as best as he could. And when, when I was in seminary, one of the things that you know we prayed for continually, we prayed for Jim Raglan because he was in a dangerous place and serving God and he wouldn't come home. <coughs> Finally, he was forced to leave. He came home. And when he came home, he came and, and he spoke at our chapel service in our seminary after we'd been praying for him for all those years. And he said this. He said, they forced me to come home. I feel like I was the most fortunate of all persons. The fighting in Lebanon was a chance to minister for me, but the best thing was that the danger I was in caused the prayers of God's people all across this country to be lifted up for me. With all those people praying for me, I had to be the most fortunate. Thank you, God, for that opportunity. He learned the secret. The best place to be is where God wants you. Doing what God has for you to do. God will bless you. You can be thankful wherever he leads. You can be thankful in every circumstance. And if you want to be happy, gratitude is a requirement. You have to. If you're not, it'll kill your happiness. Before we end this morning, I, I want to, to point out just a couple of the things that are extremely common in our culture today that, that on the surface may seem comforting, but in fact, they're the deadly foes of happiness. And if you have one of these attitudes, it will keep you from happiness. The first one is victimization. If you think that you're a victim, somebody who looks at their lot in life and decides that they are what they are because of something that's happened to them and there's nothing they can do about it, and you're a victim, you can't be happy. Victims aren't happy. A second one is entitlement. Entitlement means that just simply by being born, I'm entitled to more than I have. And it's not fair if I don't have everything I want. Folks, you aren't entitled to anything except God's love. All the things we think we're entitled for, Paul didn't get. The third one, if you're waiting to be rescued, that is, someday something will happen and I will be rescued from this situation. The right person will come along. I'll win the lottery. Or for those of us who don't play the lottery, I'll win the publisher's clearinghouse or whatever it is we think we're going to win. 
That ain't going to happen, most likely. And the fourth one is blame. If you're blaming somebody else for where you are, every problem I have is somebody else's fault. You don't have a chance of being happy because you don't have control over your own situation, your own life. You're not letting God have control in your life. And so instead of being a victim entitled to more and blaming everyone until we're rescued, Paul shows us how to overcome all those beliefs. How? Thanksgiving. Gratitude to God. <clears throat> Michael Main has written a book called Learning to Dance. And he tells a story of Donald Nickel. He was dying of cancer. And uh, he quoted the words of a Russian poet. He said that gratitude if not the highest, is the purest form of love. For when you're full of gratitude, there's no room for anything else. Recrimination or desire for revenge or self-pity. And so he began to record his gratitude for all those individuals and communities who had nurtured him throughout his life. Remember, he's dying of cancer. And he's writing down all the people and communities who had, he was thankful for, who had nurtured him throughout his whole life. And through his final diary entry, there are two words that echo like a heartbeat. And those two words are gratitude and grace. Gratitude and grace. Remember those professors I told you about from Indiana University who were amazed at what they discovered? Here's what they discovered. Gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. Gratitude helps even if you don't share it. In other words, if you only count your blessings inside and not out loud, gratitude still helps. Number three... It's not automatic. I mean, it's not immediate. Gratitude takes time. And the fourth thing is gratitude has a lasting effect on your brain. It actually changes your brain functions in some way. So this morning, you want to be happy. You're in the pursuit of happiness. You want to find victory in a triumphant life. Then not only do you need to adjust... 